Hi, friends. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Good Morning Family, a podcast of my weekly sermons. Who knows? Maybe I'll throw in a special sermon for you every now and then. I hope this podcast is good news for you. If you find these words helpful, please rate and review my podcast on iTunes or on whatever host you found it. Thanks for your help and for being part of the family. And now, here's this week's sermon. Listen and enjoy. Good morning, family. Thanks for joining me. The Old Testament book of 2 Kings is an extremely political book written primarily for the people of Israel who were forced to live in captivity, in exile, in Babylon. The theme of 2 Kings is, remember who you are. Don't forget that you are the people of God. Don't forget what God has done and what he has promised to do. The sad truth was that many of God's people would forget. An equally sad truth is, today, many of us forget who God is and what he can do and what he's promised to do. In an election year, many of us forget who we are. Who are we? I'm glad you asked. We have three confessions that help us to remember. Number one, Jesus is Lord. Not some elected official or monarch. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Two, our main, our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God, not in a nation state. No empire, even though they try, can take the place of God's kingdom. And number three, our chief identity is in the church of Jesus Christ, not in a political party. That means that we follow a sacrificial lamb rather than an elephant or a donkey. These are important confessions to announce and to maintain. These are game changers, aren't they? As election day nears, we need to remember that as we make these confessions and as we pledge allegiance to the cross of Jesus, and as we follow the Lamb of God, he will make ways and provide solutions that are greater than we dreamed. I'm convinced that the greatest sin of political imagination is thinking there is no other way other than the options we see before us today. That was Naaman's problem, wasn't it? Three weeks ago, Naaman the leper could not conceive of a cure for his leprosy that constituted bathing seven times in the Jordan River. Two weeks ago, a debt-ridden widow could not imagine a solution to her financial problems, but God provided oil to pay her debts and save her sons. And we're learning that our God has unseen solutions, and we need to remember that in days like these, don't we? Last week we saw that God blessed a woman who trusted him. When the woman's son died, her faith in God was so strong that she declared, everything is okay. Next week, we'll look at the book of the prophet Jeremiah, who also wrote First and Second Kings. The prophets were very political. And next week, I will tell you why I'm not worried about the election. But today, I'd like to share one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. Again, it's from Second Kings. Here 
the word of the Lord. Now there were four men with skin disease at the entrance to the city. They said to each other, What are we doing sitting here until we die? If we decide, let's go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die in the city. But if we stay here, we'll die just the same. So let's go and surrender to the Aramean camp. If they let us live, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. So they set out in the evening to the Aramean camp, and they came to the edge of the camp, but there was no one there, because the Lord had made the Aramean camp hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a strong army. They had said to each other, Listen, Israel's king has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to come against us. So they had got up and fled in the evening, leaving their tents, horses, and donkeys. They left the camp exactly as it was and ran for their lives. So these men with skin disease came to the edge of the camp. They entered a tent where they ate and drank. They carried off some silver, gold, and garments, and they hid them. Then they returned and went into another tent. They took more things from there, went away, and hid them. But then they said to each other, What we're doing isn't right. Today is a day of good news, but we're keeping quiet about it. If we wait until dawn, something bad will happen to us. Come on, let's go and tell the palace. So they went and called out the gatekeepers, telling them, We went to the Aramean camp, and listen to this. No one was there, not even the sound of anyone. The only things there were tied up horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted out the news, and it was reported within the palace. Then verse 16. Then the people went out and looted the Aramean camp. And so it happened that a sea of wheat flour did sell for a shekel, and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, in agreement with the Lord's word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Aramean army had surrounded the city of Samaria, inhabited by the people of God. The siege lasted so long that the Samaritans were starving to death inside the city. How bad was it? Jeremiah wrote, The siege lasted so long that there was a great famine in Samaria. A donkey's head sold for eighty shekels of silver and a quarter cab of dove's dung for five shekels. Now a shekel was a coin worth about a half ounce of silver. So to buy a donkey's head, you need over a pound and a half of silver. Now the famine was so severe that people were considering eating dove's dung. But even that was unaffordable. How much would you pay for a handful of dove's droppings? The price of just one-fourth of a cab of dove's droppings was worth two and a half ounces of silver. It was so bad that some heartbreaking events were taking place. A woman of the city reported, A woman said to me, Give up your son so we can eat him today. We'll eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked and ate my son. The next day I said to her, 
Hand over your son so we can eat him. But she had hidden her son. Isn't that horrible? Cannibalism was strictly forbidden by the law of Moses, as were lying and cheating. Now, don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Because of their situation, God's people were breaking God's laws for the sake of their own survival. Seeing no relief, having no hope, not liking their options, they took matters into their own hands. They compromised their beliefs and broke God's laws. Can you imagine the hopelessness and desperation in Samaria? You think things are bad today? I'm fed up with people telling us how horrible things will be after the election if their candidate isn't elected. Listen, we don't know hardship. We don't know trouble. Those folks in Samaria had real trouble. Things were so bad that the king of Samaria wanted to kill the prophet Elisha. He believed that God was responsible for the nation's troubles. When the king's messengers arrived to arrest him, Elisha said, This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea, that's about nine quarts, of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. What does that mean? A miracle would end the famine. Normal food would sell for normal prices. More importantly, no one would be forced to eat donkey heads or dove dung or boil their children for food. But no one believed Elisha. It was too far-fetched. Who would believe that there was any hope of survival? They were convinced that they were goners. So one night, four men who had nothing to lose decided to do something. Did you catch their logic? We're going to die anyway. If we go into the city, we'll starve to death. If we stay, we'll die. But if we go to the enemy camp, there's a chance we might live. So they went to the Aramean camp and found that the enemy was gone. God scared them off and they left everything behind. The men returned to the city with the good news. They called to the guards. The guards told the king. And the king was, well, suspicious. Immediately sensing a trap and unable to see the new reality due to the darkness, the king doubted that God had saved them. He'd been a king for so long, his vision was geared to the world of kings and presidents. That doesn't work very well in the kingdom of God. Finally, the king decided to send scouts. When the scouts confirmed the report, then the king believed that God had saved them. This is a story about vision. It's a story about seeing how God operates in the world of kings and presidents. Let me say it again. I'm convinced that the greatest sin of political imagination is seeing no other way other than the options we see before us today. What kind of vision do you have? Are you able to see God's salvation when it comes? Is your vision impaired because you're more accustomed to the world of kings and presidents rather than the kingdom of God? Are you wondering how the prophet Elisha knew what to say? How did Elisha know to tell Naaman to dip seven times in the Jordan? 
How did he know to tell the widow to collect jars and to pour out the oil until they were all filled? How did he know that God would rescue the army of Israel when they were stuck in the desert? Or how did he know that within a year, the generous woman would have a baby? Elisha was sensitive to God, aware of God, because he nurtured his allegiance to God. In today's story, God saved Samaria, but the king couldn't see it. His vision was limited to what he could do, not what God could do. Have you noticed that it's the kings in these stories who are the ones who don't understand how God works? Most of the time, it's the lowest and the least who understand God best, isn't it? Slaves and servants, widows and gracious women. Today, four lepers who are as good as dead, who see the goodness of God. It's the king who can't see or comprehend it. When we are dedicated to God, when we're sold out for him and completely dependent on him, he will tell us what he wants us to do. He will speak to us and we will hear and see him and sense his salvation, even when it comes in unexpected ways. In fact, most of the time, that's how God works, isn't it? God works in mysterious ways and through unpredictable channels. Now, the problem in our story wasn't that the city was besieged. The problem wasn't a lack of food. The problem was that they forgot who they were and they forgot who God was. But God never forgot them. He knew their needs. God heard their cries. He felt their pain and desperation. So God did what only he could do. He scared off the invaders. In fact, he scared them so thoroughly that they dropped everything and ran for their lives. We don't know how God did it, but we believe that he did. The king couldn't see the solution, but Elisha did because he was loyal to God. The lesson here is that when our vision is focused on the world of kings and presidents, we have trouble seeing God's salvation. So the question for us today is this. Can you trust that God has things firmly in his control, even when you're surrounded by enemies and tempted to do the unthinkable just to survive? Can you see? Do you have partial vision or can you see God moving in our world? Can you trust that God is God even when the political climate is what it is today? Can you see? Can you be certain that everything is okay even when there is no salvation in sight? It's all about allegiance. We must wholeheartedly embrace our citizenship in the kingdom of God. So we make our threefold declaration that Jesus is Lord, not an elected official or monarch. Jesus is Lord. Our citizenship is first and foremost in the kingdom of God, not in some nation state. And our identity is chiefly in the church of Jesus Christ, not in any political party or affiliation. These declarations remind us of who we are and who God is, and they help us to get on the same page as God. The more we make these confessions, the more we consciously refuse to embrace the world of kings and presidents and align ourselves with God, 
the more God will reveal his way to us and the clearer God's priorities will become to us and the more attuned we will be to the movement of God. The more we say yes to God and the more we refuse to conform to the world of kings and presidents, the better able we are to sense the power and presence of God. Purposefully and consciously embracing and following the ways of Jesus attunes us to the movement of God in our world, which is an alternative and better way than the world of kings and presidents. Let's be honest. Sometimes it's hard to see God's movement and salvation. And the more we intentionally choose to reject the thinking of this world and embrace the ways of God's kingdom, the better able we are to see things from God's perspective. Amen? Let's pray. Good and gentle God, only you see the big picture. This earth that's spinning through space can sustain the life we see and hear, warmed by sun, refreshed by rain, fed by seed sown and harvested, if we will only play our part. Forgive our complacency, our arrogance and greed, and raise up leaders who, with wisdom, can work together for the good of all. Help us to trust you. Help us to nurture our relationship with you, our allegiance to you, so that we can see and hear you in the frenzy and worry of this world. And now, using the words debts and debtors, let us pray with boldness the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks again for joining me. You have two responsibilities this week. Remember who you are and love at least three people and make sure at least one of them doesn't deserve it. Okay? Everyone needs to know that God loves them no matter what. Right? Don't let these worrisome days rob you of your joy. With Jesus, we always, always, always have hope. Now receive these words of benediction. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen.